and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 16th of May and joining me on this edition are Mark Botwright. I promised I'd take her to Wrestlemania. Audio reviewer Ed Selly. They say it's dog. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. Remember, trust the fungus. And assistant editor Steve Withers. Oppressor of the proletariat. So welcome back to the AV Forums podcast. Um, we're recording this on Friday the 13th but um, as we're, none of us are superstitious in any way whatsoever, um, means absolutely nothing. Am I right? Other than, other than a series of films, obviously. Uh, no, no, no I'm, I'm about to use public transport, go into the capital, do all sorts of active and exciting things. So, you know. Mind you, that's what NASA thought with Apollo 13 arriving at the moon on the that, that 13th, was a, on the that Friday was a the 13th. pure coincidence. <laughs> I know, but it is quite funny that I've been told, well, are you sure you want to call it 13? No, we're ridiculous. It comes after 12. We're not superstitious. And then that one blew up. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I still find it strange that some aircraft that you get onto go from row 12 to row 14. Quite common, actually. Surprisingly common. I noticed it recently. But I'll tell you who are the most superstitious people of the lot, the Cantonese in Hong Kong. You rarely find... because in, in, uh, It's four in, and nine, isn't it? Four, no, well, four. Four, four is, is Japanese. Is because it rhymes with death, the um, yeah. character. That for four is similar sounding to the character for death, but also because um, it's got a West influence, they don't like 13 either. So you won't find buildings with a fourth floor, 14th floor, 13th floor, 24th floor, 34th floor, anything like that. And they also will queue up to change their phone numbers if there's a four in their phone number. What's their version of the lottery like? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon you should be absolutely right. You should be picking lots of like four, 14, 24, because if that does actually come up, you're going to win the whole thing on your own. <laughs> anyway. Welcome to the podcast. Also, breaking news as we come on, uh, Top Gear is back. Are we going to sample it? Are we going to watch it? It's back on Bank Holiday Weekend, Sunday night, the 29th of May. Obviously, Chris Evans, uh, you got Chris Harris in there, who I predicted would be on there. Uh, Rory Reid, who uh, is the editor of Rokombu, and some people might know him from CNET. Who else is on there? Sabine Eddie Schmidt. Bloody Jordan. And um, Matt LeBlanc. I was seriously thinking with Eddie Jordan, I wasn't going to watch it. If he's, if his presence is kept to an absolute minimum, I'll give it a shout. But well, like, like I say, I mean, he, he's not in the official lineup of presenters, and I can't remember seeing him in the trailer. I did see him in the trailer. He was driving definitely in in the trailer. Um, maybe he's just a guest star driving a car. I don't know. Um, and they've also announced the title of the Amazon show, haven't they? The Grand Tour. I don't. I mean, ultimately, it'll be interesting to see. It's. The presenters are, are obviously it's an instrumental part of it, but quite a few of the people that made Top Gear what it was in a in a visual and a and a sort of you know planned out sense have either gone on to the Amazon exercise or they've left to go and do other things altogether. And I think that's going to be a more interesting test. Although seeing that, looking at the trailer, the cinematography still looks pretty nice i mean that, that was always one of the big reasons i like top gear i wasn't that necessarily a big fan of jeremy clarkson and the rest of them i put up with them the because <laughs> because i liked because I, I, li- I liked the cars that they always had on there and i also really liked the cinematography i thought there was a lot of talent behind the camera um for a lot of the seasons i think it started to wane a little bit towards the end when it got into silly challenges um but certainly a, a lot of the car reviews i remember the um aston martin vantage v12 with the 360 degree camera what done to Brian Eno? Yeah, that, I mean that was fantastic. The way they shot that was really good for for BBC and limited budget. That was really really nice looking. And going back to some of the older series, I, I remember the RS4 going up a mountain trying to race mountain climbers and some of the cinematography there before the days of drones. A lot of aerial shots and that kind of thing. So um, 
No, there's a lot to be said for the production values and the cinematography and so on. Not sure myself about the presenters. I, Chris Harris, I really like Chris Harris. I watch a lot of his YouTube stuff. I think he's a good presenter. Not pretentious in any way. Whereas Evans, um, I just I can't be doing my Evans nowadays. I used to like him back in the day. TFI Friday and all the rest of it. Don't in forget the your toothbrush. Yeah, it, I, I liked him back in the day. Now I find him just too pretentious. I find him... Um, I actually believe a lot of the stories that have popped up in the press this week about you could just see him being quite a bully um, and a bully to people and round about him and that kind of thing. And a few of the others are untested. I mean, Serene, she did the German Top Gear, didn't she, for a while? So I believe so. Be interesting. Any other car nuts on here, Mark? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. As I say, I'll be interested just to see how well it does because it always seems to me like there were two sets of people who liked Top Gear. There are the people who particularly liked the presenters and the mad challenges and then there are the people who really were just tuning in, as you say, for the cinematography because it looked fantastic. And, you know, I think most of those people will will tune in again. I don't think they'll really miss the presenters. Yeah. I think it's been overplayed. Yeah, I, I think for a long time it, it was, Ed, the only place that you could really see Exotica and, yes. and see it being driven and so on. But nowadays with the internet, with the likes of internet channels such as um i'm trying to think of the young guy who's he's he's been made a millionaire overnight with the videos he does is it shmi 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 i've heard about, I, I know of this person i don't um, know anything about you know then and channels like that where exotic is featured all the time and in places like monaco and so on you could say that the glamour's kind of gone out of it a little bit yeah uh, i mean i don't know it's yes there's been a democratization of access to 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 interesting things and and so on and so forth. But there is still the nature of um, how things are shot. I mean, going, it's interesting going back. One of the very end, last examples of it for me was the, you know, when they did the Porsche 918 round the Abu Dhabi circuit. Yeah. That, I, I just don't, I don't know of anyone shooting anywhere else that would, that where it, they, they, they made it look like that. Yeah. Uh, the blue so, flame, blue flames coming out of the exhaust. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, going back to old Top Gear, I think what really made it was um, was some of the stunts and the challenges they did. And they got silly towards the end, but there's some uh, really genuinely uh, jaw-dropping stuff that they did. And, and the one that always sticks in my mind was uh, the Reliant Robin that they uh, they made into the space shuttle with the booster rockets and stuff. And they actually launched it up at Otterburn Army Camp. That was just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how the how it goes. I mean, we don't know the dynamic of 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 the of the of the presenters with one another. That's another absolutely key aspect to this. But um, you know, let's see. See, it would appear, judging from the increase in the number of people, it's like they now have a driving contingent and a and a bantering contingent. And we'll see what how the dynamics of splitting it quite so obviously breaks down but you know i i will give it a crack of the whip uh, i'm i'm i don't think it clashes with hawaii 50 so we'll see how we <laughs> and uh, to wrap up on the motoring section uh, we'll go to uh, motoring expert hodge <laughs> yeah, the non-driver uh, yeah um i'd not thought about it until you've asked the question i won't go out of my way to watch it I, I'd lost interest in in the old stuff anyway uh if it's on and i'm sat down in the chair and there's nothing else, I'll watch it. That's my ringing endorsement. That's your marketing tagline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else to do, I'll do. I'll watch it. Uh, Steve mentioned it's the Grand Tour, the, the, the new uh, Top Gear that's not Top Gear with the three original presenters. Uh, quite uh, interesting, because I, I looked at that and I thought, why have they called it that? But it's short as GT, isn't it? 
So yeah. um, quite clever thinking there, actually. And it'll be interesting to see if that chemistry lives up or whether that's that's just going to fall flat in his face. And do we get one episode a week or are they going to release the whole lot as just one series in one go? Be interesting. We'll see how it goes. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't look like they have any... There's no evidence thus far of any sort of studio bit to it is there so they could record them all back i think back i think i was reading that they're going to take the they're going to tour but they're going to take the studio audience with them so they're going to go uh, around the world but they're going to take the audience with them around the world which i thought was a bit strange i couldn't it quite makes sense, given the title though doesn't it i suppose yeah i suppose um we'll we'll just have to wait and see um so do we have a ferrari la ferrari up to win mark yeah we've got two testarossas uh this week in addition to Hustlers on Blu-ray, uh, which is open to members until the 20th of May, and the Pump Audio Headphones Mega Giveaway, worth a total of exactly £614, is open to all members until the 22nd of May. I'm, I'm almost scared to ask this question. Do we have a winner? Actually, topically, we do, and he goes by the name The Stig, which is uh, 230, by the way. The Stig 230 won the Labyrinth on Blu-ray. Does that mean there are 229 others? Where the hell have you before? gone? Just, just stay yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Do I sound all right now? Not yes. Bad. Yes, you sound a bit better now. You, you're now in the same room as the microphone. It's <laughs> a substantial improvement. I said, does that mean there are 229 other Stigs? The Stigs well, on the forums. Some say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some say it's time to move on and swiftly. Uh, at speed. Right, so we're moving on to hardware news and Picture Perfect has reared its ugly head again, Mark. Actually, we're uh, we're looking at doing the refresher. We've got three out there because the Euros and the Olympics are coming and we want to make sure that AB Forums members and our listeners have the best looking TVs. Yes, we have. Uh, and the first thing you want to do is, um, if in case, I'm sure most regular listeners know. but the, buy, the buy, buy a decent TV? Buy a decent TV. And if you can't do start. that, if you can't do that, change your crappy TV into its right picture mode. Uh, so it will not, and we repeat, it will not be the sports mode, which are universally awful on any of the manufacturers that uh, have such a thing. They just uh, make the greens luminous, they make the sound really weird, they stick the motion processing on high, really high, and yeah, they just look disgusting. I don't, I don't know why they bother with them. When you say it's sports mode, it's actually how you see things if you were on a massive amount of, uh, of steroids. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, was, I was looking at one manufacturer's one, and it was, it was Man City that were playing, but... Um, and they were in the home kit, but it didn't look like a home kit. It was almost, um, it was almost yellow, and I don't know how, how they manage that when it's light blue. It? <laughs> yeah, it's frequently unrealistic some of these things. So yeah, that's your movie mode, your cinema mode, your THX mode, uh, theatre, Hollywood, that kind of thing. You get the idea. Um, so that's that's your first um, step in getting. But to Mark, the experts out there who've been doing this twenty years say that 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 makes your TV look like it's in the nineteen seventies. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. Well, I'm using the term expert very loosely yeah. extremely loosely <laughs> well as as we are all aware there are standards to which um tv and films must adhere and those modes are the closest so um so, so, when, if, I, so if i want to see the tv program as is intended to be seen as it was shot and how it's processed and put through the whole transmission line to my tv i want to be in these modes so i can see it as it's intended is that right mark that is exactly right phil so those people saying that those modes uh, are outdated or um, washed out or whatever they say are wrong, in a word. So, yeah, go into that mode. Uh, and then you want to make sure that you're seeing the whole picture. So a lot of TVs 
a little bit less these days uh, with the modern ones when you switch into those modes will automatically overscan which is a hangover from the standard definition days when you get noise in the uh, the perimeters of the picture normally at the top um, little black and white bits of noise um, but that it's not really a problem with HD at all unless you're on we get the odd outside broadcast from local news you'll see it but that, that's about it so um, you choose your aspect ratio Oh, there's normally a button, a, a picture size, or a, a button with a, a kind of a rectangular grid on it um, that will um, choose your picture ratio, aspect ratio. Um, so we, <clears throat> and then we need to hunt out the overscan settings. Now, they could be hidden anywhere in your menus. Typically, they're in the picture menu in a, in a picture options section, but they're not necessarily in there. So we've, um, if you if you go to the website, we've got a, a special article on that and a uh, helpful video which will show you how to take off the overscan so you're not losing out on any of the resolution and you're getting the absolute full picture. And then there are uh, any number of video processing controls, um, depending on how high-end your TV is, the more it will generally have. But let's just run through a few. We've got energy saving settings or eco settings, um, which tend to, uh, well, they, they lower the power and they can adjust the brightness of the screen on the fly. Uh, depending on the sort, of, they've got light um, sensors built into the TV. So if the, if the room is really bright, the picture will get brighter. If the room goes a bit darker, say a cloud comes over the sun, the, the image can darken. It just can be a bit distracting uh, and just just negatively affects the picture. If you've got an LED TV, you don't really want to be worrying about energy consumption anyway. Um, they're so low low uh, in consumption. We've got controls called things like dynamic brightness and contrast. Um, which again will adjust the picture on the fly and try and accentuate dark and bright areas of the picture. Often that just ends up crushing detail at either end of the scale. Uh, and they can also cause your picture to fluctuate. Now dimming features. Now this is this is a little bit a little bit more tricky. Um, there are good dimming systems. Normally they're exclusive to uh, full array local dimming TVs. Although some of the edge lits you know they do a reasonable job nowadays um slight personal preference but as a rule of thumb if you're if you know your tv is an edge lit based one switch it off if you've got full array local dimming a uh, backlight system behind the tv switch it on but generally in a low setting otherwise we can have uh, blooming effects and uh, just um brightness in areas you don't want it um we have things like edge enhancement which is a essentially a sharpening tool uh, that kind of just as as the name would suggest it adds a an extra line of definition to the edges on the screen so actually it's cutting down on resolution even though it might make things look a bit sharper make things look a bit more stand out it's actually you, it's typically like a, li a single line of pixels um pixels Pixels, pixels. I could say. <laughs> say I did. Don't start uh, that again. No, I'm going to say it. <laughs> a single line of pixels outside a, a, an edge or a border. Um, so you've lost resolution and not actually gained it, um, as the um, name wouldn't suggest. We have noise reduction features. Now these can be useful if you're watching uh, some crappy thing off YouTube or or some really horrible freeview broadcast uh, where you're getting lots of noise, particularly in the dark areas. But if you're watching a nice HD broadcast uh, from the ITV or the BBC, you really shouldn't be needing these to switch them on. So things like MPEG noise reduction or digital noise reduction, just get them off. Um, motion processing. Now this is this is pretty subjective. Now we, I think most of us here, 
certainly would for most of the time switch them off uh, which they can, can cause movement to look really unnatural over smooth the soap opera effect as it gets called uh, but then again some motion uh, interpolation systems don't do that if you have them on in a really low setting and if you find your um, everyone's eyes are different here so if you find you um, upset or or blur bothers you there are in in the better TVs there are settings that can get rid of that without making it look too soapy so we just encourage you to really have a play around with those and see what suits you but for whatever you what for the love of God do not have these uh, engaged in high settings because they really do look well, you're, you're gonna add it's not just a faker you're gonna you're gonna add a lot of um, I'm basically it's guessing what's coming next and it, it can only guess on what what the image was before and uh, what it might be after and what happens then is you add loads of artifacts so you can actually riddle the screen with loads of things that shouldn't be there and make it look worse than it was with emotion so you need to be really careful with these things however i've been experimenting with uh, the camera that we use for making our videos here and it has a 50p and a 60p mode and if you go and look at our ces videos you probably wouldn't have noticed it the first time you looked at it but we shot those in 50p and the playback on youtube at 50p and they look really nice and it doesn't look like soap opera which says to me that if sports broadcasters could start using that technology and broadcasters could start broadcasting with 50p or 60p we're going to get rid of the soap opera effect for sports yeah. uh, and drama and some dramas where you know it, it i don't think it, it it doesn't add the soap opera effect it just no, improves agreed. motion and it looks a lot nicer and i've got to say i was really impressed with it and if you didn't notice it on our ces videos go and have a look at them again nice little plug for people to go back and look at our videos but you will notice that we do quite a few movements of the camera and that kind of thing and just to, it just looks really really nice yeah, I can't wait for sport to be at 120 frames per second. Uh, that that will look pretty amazing, I would think. I've, I've seen some World Cup footage at uh, 1080p 60. It was taken at 1080p 60, and it looks brilliant. Like I say, I wouldn't particularly want it. Oh, you wouldn't want it for your movies, but, um, yeah, in terms of sport and really fast-moving content. Yeah, it, well, it, I mean, I had that with, uh, with Gammalog HDR, yes. um, which we had demonstrations of on the Dolby Vision stand at CES. It was obviously a closed, Dolby was closed door, but they did have a section of the stand where they had a, I think it was a rugby game if I remember right, and it was in a stadium yeah, was, where half the pitch was in shadow and half the pitch was in bright sunshine, and it had the, the normal SDR on the screen next to it, and then the, the Gamma Log HDR next to it, and it was like night and day, you could see detail in the shadows, it, it, you know, they weren't having to use the, the iris, which is what they would normally do, so there'd be somebody sitting in the control outside broadcast wagon, so... When the ball went into the dark area, what he'd do is he'd, he'd open up the iris so it makes it brighter so you could see what's happening. And when it went in the bright areas, he would turn it down. So trying to trying to keep the, the image the same. Whereas with the gamma log, no need to do that. You can get away with a guy in the wagon doing that because everything is visible. It was fantastic seeing that. It really opened my eyes to what HDR was capable of doing. It did, as Mark just mentioned. that It was 4K at a higher frame rate. So... Um... It looked really impressive, actually, particularly because, as you mentioned, it's quite fast-moving sport. A lot of balls being thrown around and, and guys running around on the pitch. It looked fantastic. Yeah, you you like that, don't you? I do like rugby. <laughs> I like rugby. <laughs> yeah, some butch men and 
Tight shots. Yeah, I, I, I am aware of the homoerotic undertones of the sport, but <laughs> it's, still, um, it's still, I still find it very exciting and enjoyable. I prefer it to football, which I just despise with every fibre of my being these days. Yes, and because it's watched by grown-ups, we're still allowed to consume alcohol in the stadiums and other exciting things, you know, so... That's why Ed likes it. <laughs> so, so anyway, back to the Euros. <laughs> Basically, we are now finished with a picture of perfect stuff, Mark, is that right? We are, as far as I know. Okay, so... Those articles are on the homepage if you want to get your TV, uh, fine-tune it for the Euros. You're welcome to look at those. Also, go to avforums.com forward slash pictureperfect, where we walk you through absolutely everything to do with setting up your TV um, and finding test patterns and all the rest and taking you from just putting it in the correct picture mode all the way through to making sure your brightness and contrast and sharpness and everything else is set correctly. So you know you're getting the best picture possible, not just for your TV, but for your room and for the environment that you're watching it in. And I think a lot of people, Steve, still forget that, like audio, when it comes to the picture, your room environment and the conditions within the room have a huge impact on what you actually see on screen. Absolutely do. It's one of the reasons why we always caveat our recommended settings by saying, obviously, that's for the specific TV that we were reviewing in our specific reviewing environment. And every room is different. You know, the, the colour of the walls, the amount of ambient light, all those factors are important. And, and when you're setting your TV up, you need to take that into account, um, which is another reason why we we also recommend a night and a day setting because very different viewing environments. At night, you don't want the image to be too bright because that can be fatiguing to watch. But during the daytime, when there's maybe a lot of ambient light in the room, you want a brighter image to combat that ambient light. So, yeah, absolutely. The viewing environment is a, a key factor in your you know, your viewing pleasure, basically. Okay. Uh, let's go and talk about Nintendo. and let, Let's let's get Mark Botwright excited for a minute there. And um, tell us all about it, Mark. Um, well, there hasn't been much news um, this week, but one thing that has come out is that... The next mobile apps from Nintendo, which will be uh, an Animal Crossing app and uh, Fire Emblem, will be free to play. Uh, This came from the DNA chief executive told the Wall Street Journal. It comes on the the heels of their Mitomo app, which was more of a, a social app, but it also seems to have been used as some kind of a trial run just to see whether in-app purchases, that kind of thing, will prove to be a viable financial model for them going forwards. So as expected, well, by some, that they're going to be free to play. The big question is going to be just how they leverage those in-app purchases. With certain titles, that can come across as pay-to-win. With others, it could be something, you know, just trivial. Animal Crossing, obviously, matches this quite nicely with the idea of kind of decorating your own little home and it's a nice little kind of slow-paced title fire emblem perhaps less so being more strategy role-play game based and so it's it's really kind of one of those times where a lot of people have been saying for a long time why don't nintendo go mobile why don't they just you know put these things out there and they can make money and it's it's been a long time coming and it, it seems very much like nintendo hopefully are getting all their ducks in a row they've they've got this partnership with dna who they bought a 10 percent stake in they're a kind of mobile and e-commerce specialists and we're finally seeing the fruition of you know of that expertise it's nintendo have faced this problem for a long time which has been how do you get non-nintendo fans to play nintendo games and the simplest way seems to be right now release small 
games that you can play on mobiles and tablets. Now, these can still have great depth to them. If, if the download figures for, say, uh, Fallout Shelter before Fallout 4 came out, that was huge. And to make something profitable like that, it simply needs to have some some system in place whereby people can achieve normal in-game targets naturally if they play in a regular way. But if they wish to take some kind of a shortcut, then, you know, if they wish to purchase extra items, things that are, are purely cosmetic, say, then they can do so. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's basically where we're at now. So, if you so, get it right with Animal Crossing, they they will make a fortune. Cause my, both my girls played that game, and they they got obsessive about it. Like you say, you you just do up your own little pad, but you have to work quite hard for the in-game currency to to get these items or get anything worthwhile. And like, you you know, if you can make those sixty-nine p for a, a candelabra or something, they could absolutely make a mint if they pitch it right. But like you say yes. earlier, it depends it depends on the game. Like so, Fire Emblem doesn't suit so well, or. Or maybe Super, you know, Mario Brothers game does not suit quite so well, but um, yeah. With, with, and also they've got, you know, they've got a whole load of games ready for the small screen that are designed for the small screen as well. So if they get it right, they could make a mint off this. But with being Nintendo, the questions arise: Will they get it right? <laughs> <laughs> if they get it right, it's you know, it'll be a license to print money. I mean, the, the last crossover for Nintendo was obviously the Wii, which was now some time ago, Mark. Um, do you think that they're pinning their hopes on the apps being the next thing to, to kind of cross over and get the general public interested in Nintendo again? Yes, um, I, I think it's it's also um, the fact that they've kind of drawn away from traditional marketing. I think they've been looking for a way that they can kind of engage their fan base and, and certainly the this partnership with DNA seems to be also focused on how can we get across you know, when you've got your latest game out, rather than simply having a boarding on, you know, a Champions League football game like, you know, a PlayStation 4 exclusive would have or, you know, your big commercial in the middle of the Super Bowl or whatever, how do you find different ways to get across to people that you've got this this new title out? And and it's also just a, a, a simple way to, to try and reach that new audience. As you say, you know, they've, they've had success in the past expanding the market however everyone's migrated now you know the the Wii was a one-time thing it's looking more and more like the outlier on the graph of nintendo fortunes and with everyone having kind of migrated to to mobile and and tablets then you know that's a good place to kind of chase them to and, it, and is it true that you're keeping them afloat <laughs> no no i haven't bought a single amiibo yet so <laughs> those are the things that are keeping them afloat you know that's the kind of thing and, and that shows you know with just these kind of small little figures i think it shows the number of people who haven't even bothered to use them on the games at all just they're using them to collect um there's a huge amount of nostalgic value um attached to nintendo but there are also you know they have they're not just basing their, their business model on trying to leverage nostalgia. You know, as, as Mark says, with his kids, stuff like Animal Crossing, it really does kind of chime with that new audience, with a, a kind of younger crowd who, you know, they're not going to bother with trying to pick up something on a, an Xbox One or a PlayStation 4. The, the titles that are more universal and will cater to that younger audience are still on Nintendo consoles. Yeah, okay. Let's move things on. Let's go to audio next. Let's look at an AV receiver from Pioneer. It's their top AV receiver. It's the LX89. I surmise that this is going to get a highly recommended badge because people don't make bad AV receivers anymore. 
I don't seem to, no. I've got to say that this this is the first Pioneer we've seen for a couple of years. Didn't see the LX88, but did review the LX87. And I think, Ed, you reviewed the LX57 yeah, uh, two years ago. So I'm yeah. pleased to see that Pioneer have made some uh, changes. I don't know these may have been applied last year, but certainly compared to the, to the, 87, to the 87, they've made some definite improvements. One of the big improvements for me is that they've got built-in Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. No oh, longer do you God. have to, no longer do you have to use a separate device that you attach. That was virtually impossible to actually get to connect to anything. Uh, now it's really easy. So that's a massive, massive improvement because I swear to God, the old uh, Pioneer stuff was a. I mean, I mean, even going through the manual, it was difficult to work out exactly how to. Uh, Pioneer should have, have sold <laughs> that to NASA. If you were able to get that up and running, you were ready to do anything else that NASA asked you to do. It was unbelievable in that day and age that a major a major company was trying to get maybe that maybe there. it was an undercover test maybe it was a case yeah. of uh, they could tell who got it online and and they were whipped away and and taken <laughs> well, to a secure location logical explanation because it certainly wasn't any use as a day-to-day means <laughs> of gaining internet access to the product no it was it was outrageous so that's a massive improvement in, in itself you can now set it up for bluetooth and wi-fi very easily it's all built in they have aerials in the back of the uh, back of the receiver great uh, obviously they've added dtsx support which will be added with a future firmware update so again that's all present and correct um the previous generation that i reviewed although it had 11.2 channel outputs it could only actually process up to 9.2 channels this can do the full 11.2 so you can do a full 7.2.4 um, Atmos or, or DTSX um, um, configuration, which is great. So you've got that. Uh, in terms of HDMI, um, it does support full HDMI 2.0a with um, HDCP 2.2 and HDR on Rec 2020. But, and this is the weird thing, not on all the inputs. So the three outputs do, and three of the inputs do, although not the rest, which is strange. You think they just use them on all of them, but there are three inputs. That should be more than enough, by the way. I, I don't think I can have more than three different uh, Ultra HD, 4K HDR sources at the moment. So that that's not a major issue. It's just strange that they did that. Also, the naming convention is very weird because it's it's uh, it's HDMI 1, then BD, then HDMI 2, 3, 4. HDMI 5 is the one at the front, and then there's 6 and 7, so um, slightly strange. And aside from that, though, uh, and that's a minor complaint, and then remote control remains, although it's had a bit of a facelift, it's still not great. It's still full of little fiddly tiny buttons that are all pain in the ass to use in the dark. Um, but otherwise, uh, it's it's really good. I mean, it's classic Pioneer. It's it's powerful. It's beautifully made. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a gorgeous looking receiver. It's built like a tank. It's got loads of power, um, but it's quite nuanced in its performance. Um, I quite like MCACC, their, their own proprietary room EQ system. Uh, it's not up there with some of the best out there, but it, it works quite effectively, particularly at the lower frequencies. And it, all around, it's a really solid, really good receiver. Um, and you're right, Phil, it won a highly recommended award. Natural selection has whittled it down now, so it's only only the companies that had any aptitude for making AV receivers still making AV receivers. Yeah, and, and what I like is the fact as well that even though they're now one company, Pioneer and Q are keeping their, their designs and their, their products separate, which is yeah. good to see. Uh, well, I think, if nothing else, there's the uh, real-time demonstration from... Uh, Denon and Marantz that trying to merge it is very very hard because you've normally got two different groups of engineers who have assigned different priorities to different bits and bobs so actually trying to do much in the way of platform sharing is very very hard and often ends up compromising both products for its yeah. for their you know their, 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 their core member base 
I mean, obviously, talking about cooperation, uh, Ed brings us on to the next subject nicely, and that's Kef and Lynn getting together. Um, tell yeah. us about this one. Right, this is Lynn's exact system. R- Lynn do not like the word, uh, e- they don't like the phrase room EQ or anything like that. This is an optimization system. Uh, it's currently quite a fashionable and, and, and big part of an increasingly large part of many high-end audio systems in so much as Lynn debuted uh, exact some time ago. Uh, I actually went up uh, for AV forums to go and have a look at it. I wrote a report. You can dig it out of the archives. It effectively very closely maps a uh, an, an amplifier to um, a pair of loudspeakers and essentially the uh, almost everything is handled in the digital domain um, and some alterations and some tweaks can be made to the uh, the performance of the loudspeaker, knowing its proximity to walls and so on and so forth, that you can use to dial that out. Now, when this crop came out around originally, um, it was very much something that Lynn were keeping in-house, and it was for Lynn speakers. Um, I think Lynn's hand has been slightly forced here because uh, another brand, Deviolet, with their products, they introduced a system called SAM, which does a very similar process. And they said, tell us what speakers you're using, Deviolet customers, and we'll get it configured and done. And they have been adding speakers at a phenomenal rate of knots. So Lynn um, have broken a quite a long-standing habit of trying to keep everything in-house. And they have been adding um, other manufacturers' products to the list of speakers that you can use with this exact system. Um, and uh, that uh, has been something that's been ongoing for a while. Uh, we saw products from uh, a, another speaker company called Kudos uh, a, about a year and a half ago. But now uh, we've actually got a, a big name, if you like, uh, involved in this in so much as uh, Kef have uh, announced that uh, they have been working with Lin and you can now buy one of the reference models um, with Lin Exact. Uh, processing and amplification and the two will get on like a house on fire and it allows you to configure the speakers in such a way as going back to what I said you can if you you know the position in the in room is less than optimal you can just gently alter the response and gently alter the behavior of the speakers so as to dial out some of those issues um, I've had some demonstrations in the past it's extremely good it's very benign you don't it doesn't. It avoids what we've discussed in the past. It avoids that sense of something sounding very artificial and very heavily played about with. Um, and if they've done that with the kefs, uh, the chances are it's going to be it's going to be quite an impressive system, although not one that's going to be small change. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously the the PR has been very much seriously superior speakers and 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 all these buzzwords and all the rest of it. If we cut through the BS, what what are you expecting at the end of the day? Ed? I'm expecting that you would be able to use what is a large and pretty potent loudspeaker in rooms where if you did it, used it under, them under normal circumstances, you might get far too much overdriving of the room, far too much uh, interaction with side walls, rear walls, etc. You'll be able to dial all of that out. You wouldn't need to have an absolutely point perfect um, towed in 
exactly two meters apart sort of positioning with them they'll be much more flexible in that regard and you'll be able to just get more out of the basic performance envelope of the kefs without having to put as much effort or indeed have have a great room to start with that's that's what they're aiming for it's 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 a little bit of real world convenience to high-end audio i guess the elephant in the room though is these are not going to be cheap because you're talking about kef reference speakers which are not cheap to start with so why would you go down that route rather than going down something like say derak which basically does the same thing well in so much as um exact as a system uh is more than just eq in so much as uh it's a fairly flexible way of collating a lot of different inputs um and doing you know ha- handling very very complex systems bringing it all into a single sort of app controlled environment and um it ultimately whilst dirac in in the S, in the SR250 for example is extremely good and does something similar it's ultimately a product at the 2 and a half thousand pound price point i i would well I'd certainly hope that um the lin system is going to give you that little bit more uh, in, in just overall performance. So certainly Lin's digital decoding and certainly their UPnP streaming and the like is, is comfortably superior to anything that's using Dirac at the moment. Okay. So some interesting stuff this week. That is hardware news. Uh, we are fast running out of time, as we always do, so we're going to move on in a second. One thing we didn't mention, uh, high-end AV receiver group test. Uh, that is coming up, Steve. Uh, what's it going to feature? It's going to feature the Anthem MRX1120, the Arcam AVR850, the, the Denon AVR-X7200WA, the Pioneer LX89 that I just mentioned a few minutes ago, and also the uh, Yamaha RX-A3050. So all cracking receivers. Uh, finding a, a winner out of that lot was not easy. So okay. if you want to find out who wins, read the article. Yeah, I was going to say that. Don't spoil it for us. <laughs> Bloody hell. That, that, how, how many speaker connections did you make and unmake during the duration of that test? <laughs> a lot. Well, I mean, it's 11.2. So there's, a, there's, there's 13 a time. Well, times. well, actually, how, the real question is how many banana plugs cracked or snapped while you were doing that? Because that's <laughs> normally the thing that happens. I'll tell you what, banana plugs are the best invention ever. They, they are. They are best. wire those up every time you'd go nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're great, but I always find that after after about three or four months, they start to weaken because obviously, you know, in and out, in and out, and, yeah. and it starts to weaken them. And I actually now go into Richard Sounds whenever I'm passing and I'll buy three or four boxes. I actually, shameless plug here for um, QED's airlocks. I find those are very, very robust um, they stood up to a lot of abuse over the years, and um, cords, cord company, their own. T- if you buy pre-terminated length, which I appreciate isn't cheap, those are those are nice plugs, um, and they've been quite clever. That the, there's very few points of stress when you're removing and fitting the fitting the plug, so they're quite long-lived as well. But yes, I agree with you. Um, I mean, there are some, especially with some high-end manufacturers who are using silly materials in their plugs. They are designed to be connected and left for 20 years, and that's it. If yeah. you make and remake them, they will fall apart. Yeah, I mean, I, I will uh, give them give them a, a, a mention here, and that's uh, the Cambridge Audio ones. The cheap 2.99 a pair, uh, or is it 4.99 a pair? They're cheap anyway. Um, that's the ones I buy do the job and like I say now and again they'll snap off but that's because 
we're basically abusing them. It's, you know, if, if you're buying them for your own system, you plug them in and you leave them. Uh, yeah. Whereas we're swapping out lots of lots of kit all the time and in and out and in and out. And you're going to get breakages and stuff. But I have to say, those have served me well for the last 10 years. And they haven't changed the design much either. So nope. they're obviously working. I'm going to be interested to see who wins that. I'll be very, very interested to see how that goes. Well, it's on the homepage, Ed. We read it. Right. Oh, is it actually there? Oh, blind. No, no it there, will right. be when the second. podcast goes out. Oh, yeah. I was going to read it on the train on the way to L- that London. <laughs> well, you can read it. It's in the CMS. It's just oh, pe- yeah, people listening to the podcast right now on the Monday or whenever it is. Um, it should be on the homepage now for you folks. Okay, moving on. Let's have a look. No, there's no reviews. So it's movie news next. Ah, you pay for that cinema pass, but it doesn't like you go to the cinema anymore, Steve. I haven't been going very much this this, uh, this year, no. Why is that? Why is that then? Uh, it can't it, it 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 be work because you're, you're not doing any more no, than you normally that, Not that many films that I really wanted to go and see. I no. am going on Wednesday to go and see X, well, the film I'm about to talk about. So, Right, um, which, which would be? X-Men Apocalypse. The latest in the uh, ever-running ever X-Men franchise, um, which has had its ups and downs. Uh, certainly, uh, it had a bit of a nadir when it came to X-Men Last Stand and X-Men Origins Wolverine. How, how, uh, many, how many have there been, Steve? Because I, I think I, I saw the original one, and then I, I maybe saw the sequel to that, and I haven't seen any of them since then. So how I many have I missed? this is the film. Jesus. I think this is the ninth X-Men film. Um, so, yeah, it's had its ups and downs. Things did get back on track a bit after initially X-Men First Class, which was sort of a bit of a reboot. And then Brian Singer came back on board and did X-Men Days of Future Past, which kind of reset the whole thing, com- combined the X-Men First Class cast with the original X-Men cast and kind of eradicated issues with X-Men Origins and um, and uh, The Last Stand. Um, and this is a direct sequel to... Um, Days of Future Past, which was, it, there was a little uh, teaser right at the very end of the credits for this film um, involving the character Apocalypse, who's played by um, Oscar Isaacs. Uh, and it's, it, in this particular case, the cast is all, all the new cast, the X-Men first class cast. So you've got things like people like James McAvoy playing um, uh, Dr. Xavier, and you've got uh, Professor Xavier, sorry, and you've got Michael Fassbender playing Magneto, uh, along with Jennifer Lawrence as um, Mystique. And um, it looks, I mean, in the trailer, it looks good. I, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit, uh, I mean, it's going to have to be great because Deadpool was an X-Men film. I mean, it does take place in the X-Men universe. And Deadpool was great. It was really funny and really fresh and really original. Um, and so X-Men Apocalypse is going to really have to deliver the goods in order to uh, both keep up the standard that was set by um, by Days of Future Past and also, you know, the kind of expectations that have been created by Deadpool. Obviously, it won't be as R-rated as, as Deadpool. It's not going to have all the swearing and the sex and the extreme violence. But they need to, um, certainly Brian Singer needs to up his game a bit to keep it fresh and original and interesting with them um, so much happening right now in terms of um, um, uh, comic book movies. And um, particularly after what I thought was a really, really good film with them, with um, Civil War, with Captain America Civil War, which uh, which I thought was a cracking movie. So it'll be interesting to see how that performs. And that comes out, well, it actually opens in the UK on, on Wednesday. Uh, so if you want to go and see it, you can go and see it on Wednesday. Um, and then... Um, as opposed to the normal Friday opening, it's opening a little bit earlier. All right, all right. Uh, and, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. So you're going to have a review for this next week then on the podcast? I will, yes, I will. I will actually have to review thank, it. Thank you for that. I, I've got to say, I, we, we keep coming back to this, you know, oh, not another comic book movie and all the rest of it. And, uh, but, you know, I have no interest in X-Men, so I won't be going to see it. And I probably won't pick it up on disc because it looks like I've missed about seven films now. 
So that, that's quite a bit We've to get. a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> yeah, it's a, probably a bit too much catching up to do. Um, I mean, I've, I've still got you know five seasons of uh, Game of Thrones to get through. Um, so yeah, I'll be putting that in the back burner. But um, one thing I was going to ask you, because it just popped in my head, um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Are we are we getting a sequel to that? Yeah, yeah. Um, next year, Guardians of the, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, really? uh, which is shaping up to look really good. They've got some great new cast members coming on board. Uh, Kurt Russell's joining the cast, I believe. Nathan Fillion. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got high hopes for that because that was um, a, a, a really pleasant surprise when it came out. Uh, when was that? Two years ago. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. When it comes to comic book stuff, and I didn't realise it was a comic book stuff, uh, but when it comes to that, I, I absolutely loved that. So I would definitely go and see that again. Uh, how, how many Captain Americas have I missed? I haven't seen any of them. There's three. Uh, there's three. And, oh, well, that's, 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 that's maybe doable. That's maybe doable then. Yeah, except it's not as simple as that, is it? Because it does then, there, you, you also do need to do some Avengers as well and some other bits and bobs. Oh, and it geez. isn't. Isn't there? Isn't part of it also the Thor: The Dark World is also part? Uh, of you don't need to worry about that. You could definitely watch Captain America: The First Avenger, The Avengers, Captain America: Winter Soldier, Avengers: Age of Ultron, and then Civil War, and that would be a, a very good. Um, there you go, Steph. Five like, only five films. Well, <laughs> <laughs> actually, you know, they're they're good. I mean, they're particularly, I enjoyed Captain America: The First one. It had a nice um, sort of you know retro feel to it. Um, Avengers is great. Captain America: Winter Soldier is excellent. It's a really, it's probably the best Marvel film to date. Um, maybe not the most fun. I'd say the most fun remains Guardians of the Galaxy, but I think it's the best film they've made so far. Um, so it's worth watching in, in, you know, in its own right. Age of Ultron is not as good as the Avengers, but um, still need to watch it really in order to keep the continuity. And then Civil War is also excellent. So you know, there's some good films in there. So it wouldn't be a chore to go through those five movies. To be honest, are, are we starting to see a bit of a backlash? Because I see the ABC cancelled. Um, oh, you, Agent Carter. Agent Carter. It's been dropped. It's, is it? It's, yeah. They've how long? How long have we been predicting the backlash and the bubble bursting though? Some <laughs> yeah. Time. Some, it seems some like though, at yeah. net. At this point, we should just ride out the it's all a fad line. And at some point, we'll be proved right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quite funny, I, I was watching some of the, um, you know, the Honest Trailers. I'm addicted to Honest Trailers. And I've been going back through uh, some of their archive stuff that I haven't seen for a while. And, and this is a really, really funny one. I forget what the film is for, but it's when DC were had a little bit of success and Marvel were absolutely... Oh, it was Captain America 1990. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and that was really really funny. Even I got the jokes in that one. And I don't see comic book films. Mister Borrey, where do you sit? Because you're you're a bit of a gamer. Um, I know you you like comic books and you also like a lot of Asian cinema. And that so you like all this kind of thing. Where do you sit with it? Um, I'm I'm afraid generally kind of my my kind of comic book status. As much as I I still have a reasonable collection, um, it I like certain kind of characters certain um franchises that kind of thing and beyond that i just i'm afraid i just kind of tune out so for me it's it's kind of a little bit heartbreaking seeing them continue to plug away with the same um profitable characters that everyone recognizes and thinking i i'd really like them to kind of expand into something a bit different you know it just seems like they're at this point they found three or four things that they want to just keep doing until at some point it will prove unprofitable and then they'll say, well, no one's interested in comic book films anymore. 
Whereas the, the truth will be when the bubble finally does burst, it will just be due to absolute fatigue with, you know, kind of flogging the Wolverine dead horse. I, yeah, I, actually, so. I've, I've just looked at my to watch pile. I've actually got Age of Ultron in there. I can't even remember. I can't even remember buying that. It's in the to watch pile. They they um, did a great thing last week on Honest Trailers where they actually got the Russo brothers who directed Captain America Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War to actually watch the Honest Trailer for Captain America Winter Soldier and then comment on the Honest Trailer. And they said a really funny thing. They said when we were writing Civil War, uh, we said we actually had this point. We said, "Is this Honest Trailer future? Is, is this Honest Trailer proof? You know, is this going to are we going to get picked up on this plot point in Honest Trailers? So it's become a byword now for making sure your film holds together and won't get ripped to pieces by the Honest Trailer team. So credit to them, I guess. Yeah, they are very good at what they, they do. Very, good, yeah. very, very, very good. Right, let's move on. Blu-ray releases. What can I go and buy? Uh, the big release this week is Creed. Um, now, when this was announced, I was like, oh, God, you know, a film about Apollo Creed's son and, you know, is Rocky going to be in it? And, you know, is this, are they really just milk, you know, really milking this? Um, but actually, having seen it, it's brilliant. It's really good. Uh, way, way better than I thought it was going to be. It's uh, Rocky is in it, obviously. He plays a mentor to Apollo Creed's young son, um, played Michael B. Jordan. And um, it's called Adonis Creed, which is quite a good name. Uh, and it's really good. I mean, if you've grown up like I have with the Rocky films over the years, I found it an incredibly moving experience. I'm not I'm man enough to admit, on at least two occasions in the film, I cried. I openly wept in this film. <laughs> I, I, and the fight scenes are really... <laughs> No, I was there. I was blubbing like a pussy. Is, is, that, was, is that because there wasn't enough baby oil being rubbed in? No, no. It's just you know, there's, there's a certain. I think it's just. I realised it was probably an emotional. You know, if you've you're talking about a lot of you know, how many six films before this, and you know, and they go back to '76. So you know, I've been watching them since I was a kid, and uh, so it's a character I'm invested in emotionally. And yeah, I, I'm not going. I'm going to be. I was. I was. I teared up quite a few times in this. Plus, the fight scenes are fantastic. There's actually a single take fight scene in it. Um, that I don't know how they, they must have spent so long rehearsing it. It looks really good. Honestly, it's a cracking movie. Um, so if you haven't seen it, get it, get it this week. It is, you won't be disappointed. If you're a fan of Rocky, definitely buy it. But if you're a fan of quality filmmaking and, and a really good moving story with great performances and fantastic fight scenes, and if you like a boxing movie, get it. It's it's superb. It's absolutely. Does it have so Carl Weathers better. performing in a, like an Obi Wan Kenobi role? <laughs> You do see Carl, you see Carl Weathers, some, um, obviously, footage from the other films um, on TV and that sort of stuff with um, donors watching his father. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's it, honestly, it's great. It's really, really good. So much better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Who does real... he fight, though? Because uh, a big part he of the Rocky films is always. He doesn't fight. Um, it's not so much like a Club of Lang, you know, or a, a, a Russian, you know, built in a, in a laboratory uh, super killing machine. It's, it's nothing like that. I mean, he fights real boxers. So Michael G. B. Jordan, yeah, he had to really train hard to look realistic and take it, you know, in a ring with actual boxers. And um, so <laughs> fights. He... <laughs> take it in the ring. No, no, too cheap. Too I was, cheap. I was waiting for that phrase. Honestly, honestly <laughs> came for ring terminology. Wasn't <laughs> I know. Uh, it's great. It's, 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 yeah. It's. An absolute gem uh, and a real surprise, and I recommend. It. I mean, to be fair, the original Rocky is an absolutely fantastic film. The, the sequels started to get a bit silly, as as you see. You know, the, the opponents started to get a bit ridiculous and all the rest of it. Um, but the original Rocky, and it was never about winning either. It was it was it no, was about distance. it was about going the distance. It was about being there and and being the best that you could be and all the rest of it. And and, and it set the tone for a lot of the the films that followed in the eighties. Um, like that, yeah, you know, montage, 
sequences yes. and, and, and so on. Um, I'm sorry, every film is improved by a training montage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You have they to have a montage. Cle- they cleverly reference that kind of thing in Creed, actually. They do, they, they do some very, very clever little nods and asides to the Rocky movies themselves. And Rocky's you know, fake history, if you like, with Philadelphia and the Rocky statue that's actually there in Philadelphia now and that kind of thing. And those steps that he runs up in Rocky, they do a sequence you know, yeah. there as well. They're, they're very clever and, and, and quite witty in terms of the way that they reference a lot of that stuff. Uh, whilst remaining, you know, faithful to the story and realistic to a degree. Yeah, I, I, I kind of watch those films now without getting the Team America. We're going to need a montage song running in my head. Well, I don't know. I'll see if it crops up on Sky Movies, Steve. I might give it a go then. I'll let you know if I weep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so moving on from Blu-rays, um, I'm probably not going to pick that up, Steve. I'll wait till it comes on Netflix or Amazon or whatever. Uh, but it sounds good. Moving on, Ultra HD Blu-ray, uh, just for Mark. What's Mark going to spend his money on this month? Well, I think he made your announcements in the last week. Obviously, this week in the US, Deadpool came out on Ultra HD 4K Blu-ray with HDR and Dolby Atmos, which is excellent news. Um, mine is on the way, but hasn't arrived yet, annoyingly. Well, one bit of news that you pointed out to me, Phil, I mean, I'm assuming this is with, with anticipation of some future release on Ultra HD Blu-ray, but there's a new 4K remaster of Highlander. Oh, good um, God. Without I blood. love Highlander, so I'm really up for that. So no. that's, got, that's a new 4K remaster for the original camera negative. Um, there's going to be a Blu-ray release uh, in June, and hopefully at some point in the near HD 4K release as well. Have, have they done an honest trailer for that? I'll, I'll have to go and have a look. That, that'd be yeah. classic. We have. should ask them. You can always email them and say, do an honest trailer for Highlander. <laughs> that bloody they, castle. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that so many times on your footage now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. you got a Scotsman playing a Spanish bloke, and you got an American trying a Scottish accent. Oh, he's a Frenchman. He's a Frenchman. Oh, sorry, Frenchman. Scottish like Scott. Uh, and a Scott playing an Egyptian Spaniard. It's yeah. very confusing, but I still love it. It's still <laughs> great fun. Uh, it's a classic, absolute classic. The 80s classic, come on. You've got to admit that. And it did have a Queen score as well, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and pretty good. I mean, the song Who Wants to Live Forever, I think is quite moving within the context of the film. Um, so The actual yeah. video for Who Wants to Live Forever is just... It is the the embodiment of the eighties in three minutes and forty five seconds. Everything that was wrong with eighties music. <laughs> then levering in, you know, how are you not dead? It's a kind of magic. <laughs> it's a kind of magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd all forgotten that, hadn't you? Yeah, just I like bit. that line. It's a kind of magic. Oh, shut up, Steve. Please well, use the Nazi. <laughs> whatever you say, Matt. You're the master race. Oh, come on, it's great, Phil. Well, they're fighting the Kurgans, fighting um, um, Sean Connery, and the entire castle collapses around them. <laughs> Come on, this is genius! <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that Blu-ray, even though I've got the Blu-ray already and haven't actually got around to watching it in the last six years. I'm still looking forward to getting it again. <laughs> to sticking that in the pile. <laughs> if anyone wants the original Blu-ray, by the way, in a, in a steel, it's actually it's a steel book. It might be worth some money. I better check that out on the, yeah, yeah, in the forums. Words, yeah. Back pedal, back pedal, back pedal. Steve's not giving it away for free. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but Ed blew me out on the PS3, though. Well, I had to spend £138 putting the cat back together. So, mm. so it's, it's, there, it's there for it's your mark if you want. Cat. <laughs> no, it's an old cat. I thought Paul it wasn't was sending me cheery messages over Skype about how I'm basically going to end up spending a decent car lease on keeping an animal of which I am in some periodically indifferent to from not dying. So we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> right, it wouldn't be a Navy Forums podcast if we didn't talk about cats or Star Wars. So uh, Young Han Solo is going to be uh, the next standalone movie. So this is 2018 December movie, isn't it? 
Is that that's right? right. Yeah, because yeah, uh, right. yeah, this year it's it's uh, Rogue it's, One, then and next year it's Episode it's Eight, and then <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. So this is 2018. Um, they've now found the actor to play a young Han Solo. I've just looked at the photos. It might just be the photos that uh, the Hollywood Reporter are using, but apart from the chin line and the nose, there's not a lot else there where he looks similar. No, is an actor called Alden Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich, I think it's Alden Ehrenreich, who has been in a couple of films. He'd been in Tetro, which was a Francis Coppola film from a few years ago. And also, he most recently, he was in Hell Caesar. And he was very good in Hell Caesar, actually. Um, I think it's not going to come down to whether he looks like Harrison Ford so much as whether he can convey the swagger and the charm of a young Harrison Ford. He looks, and, he and, looks, he looks more like Seth MacFarlane, if you look at that photo. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was very good in, um, he certainly, I think he's got the chops to do it. I mean, I, I trust uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord who are making this film. Um, they're the um, guys that made Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the excellent Lego movie, which was a real surprise, and also the very enjoyable 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. So uh, I think that they, they've got talent. They can they can make an enjoyable film. I mean, this is going to be, I think, a lot more comedic and irreverent than the other Star Wars films. I mean, if you look at some of this stuff, it's, it's quite heavy. I think this is, the idea of this film is going to be a lot much lighter. Um, it, it has to be fun. I think that's where... Yeah, I fun. mean, the, 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 the strong points of um, Force Awakens was Harrison Ford playing it for fun and, and, have, and having real fun with it all. And, you know, I think I'm going to offer you a job and, you know, you know little lines like that, you know, playing to the camera as well and, and stuff. Um, that That, for me... Was was excellent, and of course he knew, he knew that what was going to happen, so he was he was playing it for for everything it was worth. Really, they have to capture that in the young one, and he has to have more swagger, and he has to be more outrageous. Yeah, I think there were definitely bits of Force Awakens which gave us a taste of what we can probably expect from this film, and if it plays it, you know, for fun, um, and and young Alden Ehrenreich can deliver the goods in terms of the swagger and cockiness of the young Han Solo. And they can get the kind of fun that they had in Guardians of the Galaxy, for example. If they can, if they can nail that, this could be a really, really fun movie and a really big success, I think. I mean, I, I, who doesn't want to see more Han Solo running around having a laugh with Chewie in the pre, you know, the pre-Star Wars days, pre-Empire days, even possibly? Or um, well, no, it would be Empire, wouldn't it? It would be during the Imperial reign, but uh, um, you know, just having fun. I'm certainly, if you look at uh, something like the Rebels TV show, that's good fun, and that's a similar kind of concept. So do, I, do, I'm actually quite excited by this. Do you think we'll see the castle run? Who knows? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Playing the young Chewie. Well, no, well, Chewie, anyone tall, basically, I should imagine. Chewie is a sense that Wookiees live a very long time, so essentially they're ancient. Yeah, Chewie's a few hundred years old, so it's not an issue. Just need someone who's, who's six foot. Just need someone who's tall yeah. and can go, ah. But, but again, in in uh, Force Awakens, I, I thought, again, you know, a lot of the, the comedy, comedy play and the comic play there with Chewie, and and the way that they got the expressions through the mask and stuff, really good, really funny. There's, there's quite a few funny bits. Oh, you're cold. Yeah. No, no. They, they, I thought those bits were fantastic. And if they could, if they can keep that going, that kind of banter and the jokiness and and the fun that we saw in those brief sequences with Harrison Ford and Chewie in this new film, then brilliant. And and Chewie's must have been such a risk back in '77, thinking, you know, it's basically a bloke in a suit. If it the doesn't work, carpet. we're buggered because he's a major character. But actually. It's genius because you totally buy Chewie as a real character, as a, as a real, you know, 
uh, not just as a character, but also you know, as a living creature. There's no, you never think of Chewie as a guy in a suit. The expressions in the eyes, the, the mask that um, Stuart Freeborn made, really, really convey the character. And you never once think that's just a tall bloke in, a, in an ape suit, you know, which is what it could have been. And um, so, yeah. I think uh, I think this is, this could be a cracking movie, and I'm actually after seeing the Rogue One trailer, I'm so excited about this. The next few years of, of a Star Wars film every year for the next four years. Yep. Who couldn't want that? <laughs> yep, I'm with you on that. Got to say, um, I think the Force Awakens. I'm I'm starting to come to the the conclusion now that um, the gloss is starting to come off that a little bit. It's not that much cop, is it? <laughs> There's some really really good elements in there, but. Like we said, they were playing it safe, and and the more you watch it, the more you realise just how safe they were playing it, and you just think, right, okay, so J- JJ did it. We're we're we've got some momentum now. I think what's making me quite excited now is the fact that Rouge Nation, <laughs> Rouge, sorry Rouge One, <laughs> could be a absolutely stonking film. The more you look at the trailer, the more you look at the the characters that are going to be in it. Um, you know, the action that could be there. You know what the final outcome is, but you don't know what's going to happen to any of these people that are actually in it. It could yeah. be that none of them survive. So th- there is a lot to buy into there and, and they could take it so many different ways. So I'm I'm excited now that the reins are off and, and they can go for it. And I think episode eight, let's hope they don't go too That's safe. going to be a very different film. Episode eight is being written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson is a very, very different director to J.J. Abrams. I think that's going to be a completely different movie, and I've got really high hopes. It's going to be a lot darker, a lot more original, and and a very different film to The Force Awakens. So, yeah, I think think we've got an exciting few years ahead of us in terms of Star Wars fans. And uh, Anybody else excited? In general, as long as they can keep um, a decent level of variety up, you know, with alternating films, I think they'll do very well so long as it, it doesn't fall into the the trap of being formulaic or playing it too safe um with regards young hand solo kind of mixed emotions about that i'm i'm i've always been of the opinion that i don't really want to see backstories of characters um because it often it tends to kind of rely on playing it for little in-jokes or moments where you can say, oh, that was a thing from the other film. You know, I, I don't want to see, you know, a run-in with Greedo or whatever. You know, I, I'd, I'd rather keep it as it was. However, if they can get the humour right, um, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll tune in. Yeah, I'll give it a whirl. You know, I don't go to cinema particularly often, but I, I, I mean, Rogue One in particular, I, I that looks, looks extremely interesting. We'll wait to see details leak out on the uh, on the solo film and we'll make a decision based on that really we, we could be getting star wars films on your birthday for the next few years yeah yeah heady stuff well and it I, does at least give me a reasonable chance of getting out to see them but we'll see how we go and i know hodge will have fallen asleep by now so um on that bombshell we are well out of time this week so my thanks to wake up mark mark hodgkinson cooper you're a lousy leader steve withers great a building with athlete's foot ed selly 191 and mark Botwright. Was she corpulent? Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. I'm sure you make these up. <laughs> yeah, I reckon he's been on. Yeah, I think we're going to have to start doing some uh, some checks. Make Bot sure. Bot like fat checks. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> anyway, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can bookmark aviforums.com for the latest reviews, news and video. And, of course, leave us those iTunes ratings, five stars only, and uh, we will read them out next week because it's the end of the month podcast next week. Is it? Let me just double check uh, that. Uh, well, <laughs> well the, the, there's one on the bank. There's one on the bank holiday, but you know, we'll, we'll do it next week if we remember. I'll put that. In, if we <laughs> what a glowing endorsement! <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we aim to please. Uh, I'm feeling. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Monday. Thank you.